Hello and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Uh, no Marcel and Ben this week. Marcel is off uh, on holiday yet again. And uh, Ben is probably away making t-shirts for, for Marcel. Uh, but we have some upgrades here on the pod this time. We've got Mark Telling. <laughs> uh, Mark is a very successful coach and long-time <laughs> friend of mine. runs Ambition Racing. And the one and only Mr. Nick Fellows, voice of ski racing, is joining us on the pod. So thank you, gentlemen. Welcome uh, back to the pod. Both of you have been on before, so it's nice to have you back. How are you both? Great, thank you. Yeah, absolute pleasure to be um, to be invited back and somewhat of a surprise. I think last time we did it, we were maybe even in Bormio um, with Finlay as well, and um, we had might a have had a few beers. And, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was yeah a lot of fun, great chat, and um, yeah, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be back here. And Nick, you've you've uh, had a busy few weeks. Rested the voice box. Thanks for coming back out again. No, it's always a pleasure, Ed, to chat, and it's a pleasure to actually sit down and shoot the breeze with Mark as well, who does so much good stuff. Uh, backstage and doesn't get enough credit for it and yes it has been a very very busy winter um, but with lots of stories to talk about and um, as always a pleasure to be here. Yeah well don't don't believe all the stuff you hear about Mark he's uh, he's still (laughs) definitely don't believe all the stuff. (laughs) Absolute toe rag Um, but no thanks again I I think guys we've got to we've got to start at that mega slalom haven't we the one over in in the states it was palisades tahoe it looked like it was going to be an absolute nightmare with the ridiculous amount of snow that had fallen and the the guys on the hill worked absolutely around the clock i know some of the listeners i know some of you guys mentioned that you've seen a couple of the, the teams out doing their um they were out doing their powder skiing and you guys got some shots and you were you were taking great pleasure in sending those through to me, rubbing it in. So thank you for those. Um, but it was absolutely a ridiculous amount of snow and they worked tirelessly to get us away with what were an incredible couple of days. But we're going to start with that slalom. Uh, plenty to talk about. Uh, Alexander Steen Olsen picking up his first ever World Cup win. The young buck is already doing it on the biggest stage. Haugen back on a podium after, I'm sure Nick will tell me how many years he's been away from it uh, with an incredible ski. And then Popov on the podium for his first time. And Clement Noel sort of managing to stand up to the pressure. Uh, Christofferson down in fifth. Zenhuizen and Brathen then sixth and seventh riding uh, just off the pace slightly but still within a second in 16th and billy major actually picked up a fizz point result which is good for him so it means that he's going to improve his bib going forward in 18th nick let's start with you what did you make of it uh it was a brilliant ski race i think it was fantastic to go back to palisades tahoe men's world cup tour hadn't been there since 1969 <coughs> um and of course palisades tahoe uh, many of us will remember it known as Squaw valley uh, host of the 1960 Winter Olympic Games. Uh, the last time we saw World Cup action there, 2017, Michaela Schifrin did the double. Then, due to various political agendas that I don't think we should talk about, um, they changed the name from School Valley to Palisades Tahoe. It is an amazing ski resort uh, near Lake Tahoe, right on the border of California, Nevada. You fly into Reno, you do a little bit of gambling. Reno's like a little <laughs> mini Vegas. And then you go up and do all of your skiing. It, it, it's a great part of the world. And I'm even though it's come under a bit of criticism um, from an environmental perspective, I was really pleased that the World Cup Tour went back to Palisades Tahoe. 
And then when we saw all the snow, as you quite rightly said, we just were so jealous. What did they have? They had 13 <laughs> metres of snow this winter. I don't think we've had that much snow over the past three years in Kitzbühel. Um, and so, again, the Americans showing us that those resorts are still booming with amazing snow. And as you quite rightly say, Ed, they, the World Cup tour turns up for a couple of days training before a giant slalom and a slalom, and they just went powder skiing. Oh, so jealous. So just one or two of the real hot shots of the men's world cup tour pulling backflips in the power. Yeah, yeah. My goodness, there were some awesome. So we thought that was enough. It looks brilliant. It's great to be back. And then the biggest drama of world cup skiing for many a years unfolds. AJ Guinness, who we've all loved to see go second in Chamonix, silver medal in the world championships, Looks like he's won the race, but we can't really see his feet or his skis. Yeah. And is he disqualified? <laughs> is he not? And of course, we all want this 21-year-old young hotshot, Alexander Steen Olsen, to win the race. Because for me personally, he's one of the most solid young slalom technically based skiers we've picked up in quite a long time. World champion in world junior champion in 2022, and then winning a World Cup in 2023. It's like a Hollywood script, especially when you're in California. But then AJ <laughs> does the business, and then there is this very. It was almost like we'd seen a Sasquatch. You get these shady videos <laughs> of the mist and fog in the mountains, and and there is this weird creature. And this was the nightmare for poor. AJ Guinness and without being too critical the TV pictures were not great the cameras were yeah. a little less than we are spoiled with in yeah. Kitzbühel or Wengen or Schladming so there weren't a lot of choices to analyze so no. what was looking like a, an amazing weekend finished with a slightly bittersweet taste um and i'm i'm really interested to hear what you and particularly mark feel because having come away from that live tv show i feel aj got the rough end of the stick oh didn't, mark what what why don't you cut in what did you make of the race the aj and then yeah kick us off with aj well I, well I think first first and foremost just the um i mean as ski racing fans we're all first and foremost skiing fans and to see um, that sort of side of the World Cup um, circus, let's say, everyone charging about in California, um, bit of sightseeing. I saw plenty of stuff going on in San Francisco and then um, being able to go and do a couple of days of powder skiing. Actually, I think that um, that that just sort of brings a little bit more perspective to to what these guys are doing. And it was great to see all that all over um all over social media. And of course, very jealous as as Nick says, 13 meters over there. I think we've uh, been lucky to see 13 centimeters in Austria this year. So um it was really cool to see that. And then um you know really it was thinking, well is this going to run? Um, in the first place and then they managed to obviously get it running and I'm, I'm then thinking these intervals seem rather short mm. and um, and thinking okay they must be trying to get this this race sort of off and done before it, it comes in even even more heavily so one of the really cool things I think about this season is we've seen warm conditions early season with salting we've then seen some icy conditions mm. and then now we've seen 
um, what I would describe as more of the conditions that I see in sort of Italian NJR races, um, you know, ruts and bumps and um, you know, bad the fizz. Though, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And and to see that variety on the World Cup, because when you have a normal season when it's, you know, it's cold throughout Europe and you seem to get very similar, you know, everyone's watering the piece and you get very similar races for maybe all the way through January of six or seven slaloms. It's been really interesting to see the the world's best challenged over a variety of conditions. So um, in terms of AJ, um, you know, I, I'm, I feel that he felt something go wrong, um, whether he, um, you know, from the TV angles, I could not tell anything. And that's, yeah. that's uh, something we'll come to in a minute. But he certainly was going through the gears all through the run. Um, regardless of, of what happened. He was going through the gears and that was absolutely brilliant skiing to watch. The same from Popov, whose coach set the second run. That was awesome to watch. And it's hard to stand to, to sort of as a spectator to watch it and say, on the one hand, you really want AJ to um, to get his first win. On the other hand, I wanted Steen Olsen to get his first win and also wanted Popov to be on the podium. Yeah. Um, I, I, so didn't, I didn't want AJ I was AJ kind to... of neutral. Yeah, I, I didn't want AJ to pick up his first win in those sort of circumstances. I kind of feel like, I, I think most, I think I wrote about it on social media, I think 99% of people that have turned around a gate, especially a slalom gate, but a gate, will see, will see that something happened there and, that, and the, it is the direction of the foot and the way that he stumbles. And, and uh, you know, Nick, you and I called it, instantly pretty much in in real time when it happened because you, you see it so often um and so i kind of feel i feel like they got to the right decision but it may not have been the most clear way of doing it because they didn't have the backup yes, of, of proper that, pictures and that's where i feel a, a little bit guilty um because tv pictures and TV replay normally solves all of those issues for you yeah. in a heartbeat. And it becomes black and white then, exactly. doesn't it? And, and it? and it's really very easy. It, you know, it, everybody says, oh, what a shame. Um, and and I felt the TV let AJ down. Yeah, because um, then it was... And if AJ's tuning in right now, AJ, I'm sorry. We know you're going to win. We know yeah, you're going to win on a regular wait. basis. We might get better odds at the bookings, though. We might yes, get better exactly. after the bookies. But I think that I, I personally, as a TV <laughs> guy, I feel we let the television pictures let AJ down, slightly let the World Cup down and turned it into a bit of a drama that if we'd have been in Schladming or Kitzbühel, it would never have been. It, it put Fizz in a hard perspective, didn't it? I think to make to make the call that we all sort of thought it needed to come to. But yeah, murkily. What were you going to say, Mark? Well, my um, my opinion was uh, having watched it and then seen the replays. I thought to myself, "Well, it looks it looks as if everything is moving, as if it was a straddle." But I've seen those kind of things on them um, on, on races week in week out, and sometimes we're wrong. So, yeah, you know, you don't want to pass judgment. And I was always waiting for the for the uh, next TV um, sort of footage or yeah. different <laughs> angle to see it, and I was thinking they must have additional footage, and then. As the sort of saga continued, I was thinking they don't have any other footage. And that's when, for me, it became slightly ambiguous because although it seemed like, okay, AJ has had, you know, I would think a straddle here, I can't say that he definitely has. 
And I think you'd be hard pushed to say he definitely has from the, certainly from the footage that was being shown on the TV. And therefore, my understanding at least was that the benefit of the doubt goes with the racer. And I was, um, I was therefore, I was trying to look on, online today and see the actual wording in the, in the sort of competition rules, international competition rules for it, um, to work out, well, is that the case or is it not? And I understand on, the, on a world stage, you know, these are decisions you have to get yeah. completely right. But, um, you know, from AJ's point of view, would he want the first, the first win to be sort tainted. of scrutinised in that way, yeah. tainted almost, potentially not? Um, but at the same time, I thought he had himself brilliantly. If you saw his social media the next yeah. day, it was very, very clear. My job is to race. I've pulled up before when I've thought I've straddled. Yeah, let me um, let me re- let me read that know. out, Mark. So in case people haven't found it, and if you haven't found it, head over to uh, Instagram. He's posted it. It's like I think it's his second post, but he basically says uh, the feeling that never was. The first World Cup win will have to wait. Ninety nine percent of the time, you can feel a straddle, and that one percent of the time, you're unsure. I've had races in the past where I've pulled out for thinking I've straddled. In brackets, he says Adelboden 2021, for instance. Uh, when in fact I didn't. My job is to scheme. My coach's jobs are to coach and the jury's job is to decide. Due process was followed and I respect and accept the jury's decision. If it was obvious, cut and dry straddle decision would have been made immediately versus the 20 plus minutes delay. I'd like to, uh, if you feel like it was 100% uh, obvious straddle, then I'm sure Fizz would love to hire you. Either way, I couldn't be more proud of what I've done with my team uh, and to showcase what I did today. Um from what I felt like a home crowd. So I think you're right, Mark, very eloquently put, and uh, and I think he's probably... Uh, yeah, brilliant. I, yeah. Th- I think the way he handled it was just absolutely spot on. He seemed calm at the bottom and seemed almost sort of, okay, look, yeah, there's some some disparity around this. Let's, let's wait and see. They'll decide. And, um, you know, and they've decided and he's gone, yeah, I wasn't 100% sure either way. And so I accept that. Thank you congratulated the winners and um i thought that was awesome um you know i don't want to jump on and talk about anyone else until we've till we've wrapped that up but so so much exciting stuff happened in that race yeah i I don't have anything to add on the uh on the aj standpoint do you nick you got i just can't wait to see him go again at the world cup finals bring it on aj i mean he's such a good guy we need guys and characters like that on the world cup tour and long may he keep slalom racing exactly Exactly. It's so exciting watching watching that at the moment. As I said, the different conditions. The other thing that's really exciting is if you look at your joint third place between Popov and Clement Noel. Um, there's no one size fits all, is yeah. there? You've got you've got Popov skiing down that course and hammering through the second run. I don't, did he win the second run? Is that? Uh, I, I think he potentially did. I, I think somebody who went early on that led for ages. He was up there anyway. You're you're right. Either way, he was he was right up there. You know, and I, it's it's amazing just to see, and especially as a coach of young athletes. You know, I I hear various sort of um, you know, clutching of straws and reasoning. Well, I'm too big for that. I'm too small for this. I'm not heavy enough for speed. And some of these things have some value. But it's really cool to see on the World Cup a variety of different skiers, a variety of different uh, conditions, and obviously massively different shapes and sizes and yeah. uh, and everything else it's, it's really really cool to see it's very exciting this year 
very oh, excited. I, I think that we've been blessed, though, haven't we, Nick? Especially, I think, over the last couple of seasons with the amount of winners. What well, last season when Christofferson won, I think he wasn't he the only person to win multiple races. I think, yeah, exactly that. You know, we're, we're heading. Can in, come from anywhere. Uh, even even this season, you know, we're heading into the tenth slalom of the season with six different winners, and um, and Mark makes okay. a, a very good point. Um, there were certain phases in the era of World Cup skiing where the big guys were good, then the little guys were good. Um, and now, any shape, any size, any place, anywhere, any time, um, anybody can win a World Cup slalom race from the top 25, 30 in the current rankings. So it's very exciting. It's getting better all the time. I'm absolutely thrilled for Popov, um, who's one of the most hardworking and obviously, you know, he's, what is he, five foot four? Um, and uh, he's a tiny little gifted athlete, a beautiful skier. And his hard work paid off. And yeah. he, and, um, and I also... coming there, hasn't it? Skiers don't like me saying this, but I like the fact, as, as Mark pointed on, that we're testing them in different conditions, on different gradients, on different snow. And we really are going to have the world's best slalom skier come mid-March. I think the only thing that I'd say about that hill, I think we, again, we noted it in commentary, Nick, was that I, it was, it's very, very flat from top to bottom. I think that's the only thing that, that was, yeah, it, that, it, that maybe. But then again, but it's a skill set still. all going to be very flat. To have a 37% gradient in one of the 10 yeah. World Cup slalom races. And then racing on the fast. The skills of the skiers yeah. to another limit. And I want to see the most skillful skier with the widest repertoire yeah. across all of those skills. And I like it. I really like it. It doesn't have to be steep, gnarly and scary every race every yeah. Sunday. Let's have a few variations, more fall away, some flatter slopes. And of course, what added to the, the spice was you know, 60 centimetres of fresh oh, 48 hours before. Yeah. And, and the, uh, the visibility as well. It was, um, you know, to to my eye watching on on TV. Anyway, it certainly it looked very very difficult. You had new snow coming down. You had wind there, you know, kicking the snow up. It looked very very as as we saw from AJ's video. There's, you know, it's like little tornadoes going around yeah. everyone's feet. You can hardly see so much what's trust. going on. So much trust and, in your equipment. Yeah. So, exactly and these guys were having to they were being tested in in a different way and i i thought that was brilliant and um i would say that goes towards the the setting as well and there's been various comments around setting this season but um you know slalom is in in a hairpin minimum of four meters and maximum of 13 meters in an open gate that's a big variety that's a nine meter swing of different size and shape turns that you've got to make and so the challenge is laid out in front of you and you've got to make the most of it. And um, yeah, I think the likes of Anti, I just, Anti I think it's been great. Yeah. I think the likes of Anti Kostelich, he was sort of maybe not pioneer, but he was certainly that sticks out memorably for the guy that would, would really set to his guys. And then you'd say, arguably Tristan's then taken, almost taken the mantle of, I'm sure when people see Tristan Glass Davis's name on a, on a coach's set list, their eyes are rolling and they're wondering what sort of, uh, is installed for them but i think actually since tristan started doing that over the last two three seasons I, I think we've seen a bit more variety than maybe we did previously and all of a sudden it feels like anyway that coaches are 
you know, trying things and, and trying to take an advantage out of having that core set that we maybe didn't, I don't know if we, it felt we were getting a lot of monotonous courses uh, in seasons gone, maybe not last season, the season before, but certainly for a good five-year stretch of just the same. Yeah, I think, um, you know, from, from my point of view, I, I think you can create not only a um, technical advantage with your course setting, but you can create a psychological advantage. You know, you know, and unless you um, you manage to make a pig's ear of it, you, your athletes know roughly your style. And, um, you know, with the introduction of the rules without, um, I believe, uh, you know, it's without measuring equipment now for, um, I don't know if that's up to super g as well but certainly in slalom and gs um you know there's you're setting by feel and so if you're doing that in training as well you're you certainly will have some uh consistent or um what do i want to say here some habits that you as a a setter will use um and so so it's a it's a brilliant um it it just adds another string of variety to it i feel and um the psycho the psychological advantage is definitely something to be talked about because um you know watching popov do that second run whether it's confidence whether it's knowing what what uh, themes the course is going to have in it um he definitely it was his coach setting the second run and he he flew down there and um i think river adamus had also said in in some social media that he it was cool to be there in tahoe because um, no one's really gone on that racetrack and trained it yet. So they were all coming into it sort of um, a little bit blind. And um, yeah, just, you know, that's a great new challenge for everyone. Absolutely. I think uh, just before we move away from the slalom, Bratton was leading the way. Did we see, do you guys think that we saw a little crack of pressure or do you guys put it down to still bouncing back from his operation? Nick, what do you reckon? I think it's it is the latter. I, I I think he's come back very quickly from a major appendicitis operation, had them removed, um, and a little bit psychologically as well as physically, he's not as sharp or as confident. He's definitely a skier that confidence is his calling card, um, and when it didn't quite click for him, first of all in the World Championships slalom the Sunday before, um, I think that he's for the first time this season, actually questioning whether he's... Taking a mini hit. 100%, yeah. Um, And I would imagine uh, the coaches, uh, you guys know them as well as I do, are saying, let's not try and win races. Let's try and win the World Cup slalom title here. And so Broughton, for the first time ever, uh, physically and now mentally, is looking at a clever game to win the World Cup slalom title rather than this wonderfully free, he's got a great attitude, he's got he's a real character in many ways, but he hasn't got that tremendous physical strength that has, uh, it's his recoveries that I, the way he recovers with such speed and skill has me personally on the edge of my seat, and maybe those skills aren't there. So I think for the first time they're playing a clever game, which is, game. yeah, let's not win races, let's win the title. And I think that is now something that Lucas has done. And what a second run he had in Palisades Tahoe to go from zero to near here. Yeah, eight, 18th or something, I think he moved up from 
I think, after yeah. the first run. And, um, and scoring, score enough points, most importantly for, for Lucas, going into the last slalom of the season on the 19th of March in Soldeo Andorra, still leading the slalom tour standings and still with a golden opportunity to win the slalom tour title at 22 years of age. It's, it's, it's a dream story. You know, it's magical if he pulls it off. But I think the tactic through because of the appendicitis operation has shifted somewhat. Marky Mark, what do you think? Um, I, I would agree fully with Nick there in terms of confidence. I mean, this is a guy that's, um, you know, he has uh, normally, it would appear, zero self-doubt at all. I'm sure he does, <laughs> but to the, to the outsiders, he's, um, you know, he will take this off the snow. from top to bottom. Yeah, exactly. And um, he actually reminds me in terms of that risk-taking a little bit of Hirscher. I'd always watch Hirscher and think to myself, he is trying to accelerate every turn here from from top to bottom. He's not showing any respect. And Bratton kind of has that, um, you know, that sort of, uh, I guess, youth, youthful naivety almost. And, and that's brilliant to see. And that, I think, has just taken a tiny little chink. And uh, let's not forget, you've got then other guys like Zenhausen's come back into form a little bit recently. Christofferson is confident off of winning world championships. Um, you know, Steen Olsen and Haugen are going to be flying. And so even the smallest sort of chink in your armour, then at the moment, it, it, it drops it drops you a few places. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I think we'll see Brathen back absolutely killing it in um, in no time at all, because that's that's the kind of guy he is. And um, and that confidence will not, uh, will not be dented for long at all. And I imagine after the second run there, he's thinking, oh, uh, um, you know, at 95%, I'm still, um, yeah, I can is, still do yeah. this. Yeah. So um, I think it's, it's going to be an exciting run in um, into the finals. I think uh, that's going to be absolutely sure. brilliant. And yeah, the Norgies just seem to, as soon as one person, oh. you know, as soon as, am I, am I still in? Yeah. Yeah. As, yeah, as soon as um, I haven't cut you off as, yet, you're, you're still going right. <laughs> as soon as one sort of drops off, another one jumps to the to the forefront. It's um, it's the most incredible production line. And these guys, as Nick has said, they they are young. You're talking about two thousand births with um with McGrath and Brathen, and two thousand and one with Steen Olsen. And uh, you know, first full season on the World Cup tour or in the World Cup team. Okay, double World Junior Champion last year, but he's just. Boom, straight in there. Okay, I'll take a World Cup win for myself as well. And uh, it, it's on. just incredible to watch. We all we all love it, don't we? It's, um, yeah. it's absolutely brilliant to see. Although although Steen Olsen cost me a few quid because I had I had Haugen to win. <laughs> I had Haugen to win at 200 to 1. I had him to win. Really? 200 Ooh. to 1. He owes you could have me. stopped doing this podcast after that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But I then I, I did have Steen Olsen on the podium. He just nicked it. He just got the wrong way around. Um, just uh, let's talk about the the run in. You know, World Cup final. So just to say that some of the biggest names in slalom skiing have missed out, or, or certainly one of the biggest names. Uh, no Stroltz, <laughs> Olympic medalist, following season, not even in the top twenty five. Uh, no Eric Reed. Uh, no Michael Matt. No Zubchich in slalom. Uh, no Luca Ernie. So those guys all missing out. It just shows how tightly packed. And actually, that AJ Guinness straddle very nearly cost him because he is a three-way tie for 23rd. It, he he very nearly 
didn't make it to World Cup finals, which in itself is ridiculous. Um, Nick, what do you would make? Would have been about... criminal, wouldn't it? That? It would have been absolutely. But what do you make about um, the big names not making it, and what does that sort of say about them going forward into the next season? But also, who do you put your money on? Do you still see Lucas Bratton being able to hold it out, or Christofferson thirty-two points back? Uh, Daniel Yule now a bit further away. Uh, what is he? Sixty-five points back. It's, um, as you quite rightly say, it, it, it is a very hot subject, fascinating. Um, I mean, if you just take Johannes Stroltz, uh, Alpine combined Olympic champion, takes a silver in the slalom, wins a team gold in Beijing 2022, and he doesn't even make the cut for the World Cup finals in 2023. Um, it shows the strength and depth of the slalom tour, as, as yourself and Mark were referring to. And it shows that, you know, it's brutal if you don't bring your A game to the piece week in, uh, week out. It, it, it's a huge surprise. And for the Austrian ski racing fans, it, it's bordering meltdown. Um, and of course, what happens, uh, as we talk about often on Eurosport and Discovery, is that Skiing in Austria, Mark knows this well, is like soccer in England. And if the skier starts failing, they start to look further down the food chain. What's the coach doing wrong? What's the federation doing wrong? What are we as Austrians doing wrong to have such a, a superstar who was one of the best zero to hero stories of 2022 now struggling to hold a top 30 world ranking is is quite remarkable and um i can imagine the uh, articles in the austrian newspapers leading up to the world cup finals in uh, andorra and the resort of soldeo will be make fascinating reading they're brutal they're they're nasty it's a bit like an english soccer player missing a cup final penalty um you know you don't forget it for a long long time so i kind of feel for mickey matt johannes strolz um because they're like the Rolling Stones when they're winning races. They are just rock stars. And then when they fall from grace, it is very, very difficult indeed. So I feel really sorry for those guys. Um, and I'm sure somebody like Johannes Strantz will be doing a lot of soul searching right now. But then what that means is that the World Cup finals become even more interesting because some of the major players in the games haven't made the top 25 World Cup slalom points cut for the season. It means Dave Riding has done a brilliant job to be there yet again. Uh, I feel very honoured that the British ski team is at these World Cup finals when there's triple Olympic medalists missing the cut. Um, so I think it's going to be a brilliant end to the season. I do believe Lucas Bratton will hold on. I do believe Lucas Bratton will be our new slalom champion for 2023. Um, and I think his story will also grab the headlines in Norway. Having his appendix cut out a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> made him come back for the World Championships when he was told not to, then going to Palisades Tahoe, securing enough points to hold the lead. I think he'll be fitter, stronger, better. Remember, there's no tech races uh, this coming weekend. It's speed again in Aspen, Colorado. So, number one, Broughton for the slalom title. Number two, holy moly, what a close <laughs> to the slalom season it's going to be. Go on, Mark. What about your take? Um, I think he's, he's going to be strong enough 
mentally and back himself um, to do it, Lucas Bratton. I don't know necessarily whether he's going to win the race outright in Andorra, but um, I think he's going to do enough to take the title. What I'm excited about is seeing, um, and actually we didn't talk about it from Tahoe yet, but I thought Vinatza, you know, he had that amazing recovery towards the bottom of the race. I thought he's come a little bit more back to form of late. And also um, Salah as well. I thought he was actually skiing very, very well um, before a mistake as well. So I'm interested to see um, the Italians and and what they can do. And that um, that three-way tie for 23rd, that's in Sammy Kalega just get in there as well. So you've got obviously Sammy Kalega, you've got AJ. It's When you look down this list of who's in the finals, you think, you know, um, Popov's down there in 16. And you yeah. think to yourself, well, you know, he's just been on the podium. Um, it's going to be an amazing, amazing race, an amazing close to the season, I think. Um, you know, the the Austrian thing, interesting to see how they'll reflect on that and what changes will be brought in the end of the season, whether they are looking at, you know, bringing in more juniors or from their, from their regional teams. I know in the last few years, they've had quite a big push and they have larger um, sort of C teams than they used to. And that would be my perception of it and working, working with the regions. Um, I'm interested to see what they're, you know, what culture they're trying to create going forwards, because whatever they're doing at the moment, whilst it's producing some success, it's not really the success that they are used to and that they are accustomed to. Um, it may well be that just the advantages they've had historically are not there anymore. Maybe the rest of the world are sort of, you know, we're becoming more savvy on where we train and how we train. And maybe we've learned from them, um, you know, smaller nations or less prominent nations going forwards. But it certainly seems to be um, more of a, an even playing field or more there seem to be more nations and more athletes in with a shot. Mm. Um, so it's, it's hugely exciting. Um, I'm interested to see how the Italians do. I'm obviously interested to see how Dave gets on. And um, yeah, I think Bratton's going to, Bratton's going to hold off Christofferson. I think he's sort of, you know, you've had the world champs. You're not going to have the uh, crystal globe as well, mate. <laughs> uh, fair point. Fair point. Um I think, what is it? It's 32 points. Do you know what? I'm not sure if I'm just saying it because you to disagree with you two, but I think <laughs> I think maybe Christofferson's going to be able, he's got the experience to hold this one out. You just need somebody between them. That's all you need. For, you know, first 20 points in front of second, second 20 points in front of third. You just need somebody between them, basically. Uh, the you know, I kind of think that Christofferson, he's got the stones. He's been there before. He's on top, top form. Like we said, Bratton, maybe not on top form. He skied 95%. Good second round, but was still down in seventh. There's so many good guys in there. I just don't think you can be off the pace by a half a step. Ed, that's a very, very good point that you make because historically the World Cup finals it normally comes down to three or four guys that are battling it out for the Crystal Globe. The other 20 or so racers that have been invited to these World Cup finals, they're looking just to sign off in style. They're not worried about the Crystal Globe. It's not playing in the back of their mind. It's not being talked about at the coaches or the team meetings. Yeah. 
those guys, and there's only four of them that can potentially win it. The other guys are saying, I'm just going to rock this slope yeah. and show the world how I can ski. And that, as you quite rightly say, could play to be a spoiler in the pack. Yeah. You got you got a lot of people looking to prove. I was just looking down. Fella, he's got something to prove. You know, we've been talking about how he's been rocket ship quick, but can't finish recently, or certainly can't finish without making a mistake. Loic Mayar, he doesn't want to finish the season like he sort of uh, dripped out of it in the last couple of it, it, over in America. Anyway, obviously talked about being tired. Strasser didn't see his best skiing, but he can mix it with the best of them. Haugen is going to want to get that win again. Steen Olsen is going to want to back that up. Guinness is going to want to be up there. I just think that you're going to have to be absolutely on point. Otherwise, you could be in 15th without even without even realising it. Uh, so for me, I think he's going to get... Uh, I think it's going to be down to Christofferson's canniness and his just been there, done that. And I'm going to tick it off and get a show and show this youngster what what experience means and that uh, he's still got the stones. Um, that's March what... the nineteenth. All your listeners have put a note <laughs> in the diary. March the nineteenth. Join us because it's going to be one hell of a ride. It's going to be awesome. Um, just quickly before we move off the slalom, big shout, Billy Major, eighteenth place in that race, one point zero one. So just over a second off the pace, eighteenth. Um, ridiculously quick skiing. I can't wait for him to put down two really good runs because as soon as he puts down two runs, that kid's going to be in the top 10. Absolutely guaranteed. He's so fast. Mark, he was Mark, third, you've seen him, haven't you? I believe he was third on the second round, wasn't he? Is yeah. that right? I think yeah. he's, um, you know, having watched Billy, I've, I've, um, I've seen him when he first moved on to the, to the British team. I believe then he moved off for a little bit, went back with Osatis. And then, um, and then came back into the team again. Um, and he is just, he's become more stable. Those guys have such a good role model there in Dave. They absolutely love training with him. And um, Billy, to me, seems he's, he's got that sort of, again, um, that belief, that confidence in himself. Um, you know, he, uh, Tristan said to me once, you know, if, you know, sometimes if Dave's in the second run, Dave will, he will calculate, he'll know what's on and what's not for the race. And that's that's the the sort of same thing you're talking about, Christofferson. He's wise, he's got the experience, he knows what's coming up. And I think Tristan had said to me once, you know, Billy, Billy's there and he's he's probably got more of the mindset of, right, I'm going to beat everyone this second run. And and that's that sort of youthful, um, I won't you know, arrogance has uh, sort of negative connotations to it sometimes, but that self-belief, that self-confidence yeah. that you know what, just because I've made a second run now, clearly, like in uh, in Palisades Tahoe, making the second run wasn't enough. He's then gone, well, you know, I've done a few of these. I, I now fancy giving this a shot and trying to win the run. And um, to come third on the run, fantastic. And the way he skis, I just look at it and think, he's just making more and more speed. Yeah, We trained with him. Pace. Not Yeah, we trained next to him, sorry in the pier in the summer, completely different surface. But I was just watching, thinking, wow, this is, um, I, I would, uh, I'd be hard pushed to correct some of those moves. They were phenomenal. So uh, really exciting that Britain's got uh, Billy on the horizon. Laurie as well. Um, I, I do believe he's going to come good. Yes. Um, at he's the highest level. Yeah, he's got to get that consistency. That's his thing, isn't it? But he, Actually, I didn't look. Did anybody see the Norams? Did he make some points? Is he going to lower his start number? Did anyone see if he'd made 
a result there. Didn't check. We'll have a quick look whilst we're recording and bring it to you in a second. Um, but yeah, so though you know, some some awesome stuff. And actually, I know we've got we've got plenty of American listeners that I'm sure are screaming out um just before we go, River Radimus just missing out on a second run in slalom, started last in that slalom run. And it's got so close. What did it, I think he missed it out by like two tenths. This is off the top of my head. I haven't got the results up. But um, I love the way he was, it almost felt, and I think Nick and I talked about it, it almost felt like it was an exhibition run for him. He was enjoying the fact that he was racing on home snow. He thought, I've got, a, you know, I'm going to stick on, the, on these uh, slalom skis and have a crack. Why not? And he, and he put on a real show. I think he should, I can't wait for him to do more. He should be doing more with that sort of speed. Um, anything to add before we move to the GS, gentlemen? No, I think let's go to the GS. Uh, to the GS, which was in its, you know, we talked far too long about that slalom. The GS was awesome as well. Uh, Marco Schwarz took the win just three hundredths in front of the unstoppable Odomat. Uh, and then Vindingstad in third, three tenths back. Christofferson fourth, Brensteiner fifth, who actually I thought skied really well. Bratton sixth, Pantero seventh. Schwarz went from fifth to first. Uh, Pantero went from second to seventh. Um, Mark, did you uh, what did you make of that? Any insights into uh, into that? How is Marco Schwarz still skiing that fast after doing that many races at this point in the season? It's it's unbelievable, isn't it? You watch him and you think, how are you how are you still going? The guy the guy must have a crazy crazy engine. Um, he was, I believe, top six in all disciplines at the World Champs. I think that's correct. Is that right, Nick? Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, the fact that he's he's then gone over there having done a ridiculously difficult schedule and managed to topple Marco Odomat, who is just a square. scintillating Fair form, is, is unbelievable. The, the other really cool thing, I think, and a few people have said to me earlier this season, oh, you know, Alexi Pantarel, how's he, uh, you know, how's he still going? Is he still going to do all disciplines, et cetera, et cetera? He's going to retire at the end of the year. People are, are rather quick to write uh, to write others off. And um, it seems that that home, home slope um, world championships has really galvanized him and his season, two medals. And, um, and he seems to be back with, um, you know, back with a vengeance, killer instinct and there's, um, is is churning out some some really good results across the board. So that was really brilliant to see. For me, one of the big standouts and great to see. And I'm sure we'll talk about talking about GS. We'll talk about global racing. But um, Sam May's coming in there up into 14th. Now he's qualified a few times this season and had problems second run, especially in slalom. But um, seeing him, you know, get a top 15 result in um, in World Cup GS, we've known it's there. For forever and um that's absolutely again absolutely brilliant to see a a small but technically brilliant and physically really really strong um young man come into the the top 15 of gs is awesome awesome to see what about you nick what are your highlights i i, I think for for schwartz winning his first ever world cup giant slalom who won the World Cup Slalom Tour title back in 2021 and has decided that he wants to ski all of the disciplines. It's so rare that you see somebody that takes a big chunk of his ski racing career specialising in slalom 
and then stepping up to Super G and then downhill. Um, and as Mark quite rightly said, his form at the World Championships across all five races was phenomenal. And as we keep saying, you and I, Ed, in our commentary, when's he going to start looking tired? That lovely saying that they they often overuse in skiing. When are those heavy legs going to appear? And they just don't. He just mm. keeps going on and on and on. You know, Mark's words were were perfect. It's it's a machine that just does not want to tire. Um, so I think that's quite exceptional from Marco Schwartz, and it's quite possibly one of the few things that's giving the Austrian ski race fans uh, reasons to cheer and and somebody to cheer for. Um, so I thought Marco was absolutely fabulous, and then I love the small stories. Uh, that again, Mark's touched on, like Sam Mays, lost all his luggage, yeah. steeled and borrowed throughout the whole of the California trip. Um, all his luggage was stuck in Frankfurt, uh, raced in a German team's cat suit, was literally borrowing everything, bar his toothbrush, and still puts in a performance like that. That shows an athlete that really has uh, got some a stiff upper lip, as we like to say in Great Britain, just get on with it. I'm here to ski race. Yeah. And all of those distractions had nothing. So there were some great stories, but I'm just personally delighted and pleasantly shocked that Marco Schwartz will race in Aspen, Colorado this weekend <laughs> in a double downhill and a super G when two <laughs> years ago in 2021, he was the slalom Crystal Globe champion. And I think if Marco Schwartz keeps doing this, we'll start to see some significant changes in the sport where all of a sudden it is cool to be an all-rounder all over again. Yeah, we've talked about in multiple times, haven't we, about the overall title. You've got to ski three disciplines, otherwise you're just not going to do it. But if Marco Schwartz is able to keep the pace that he's been showing across all disciplines up next season you won't just be able to do three disciplines. You won't, because he, if he's podiuming or, you know, even just consistently top five or even consistently top 10 in all of the disciplines, you're just going to, he's going to pick up too many points. And all, I wonder if that's just the, the goal. If, it, if that was the goal, why he started to ski multiple differences. I'm sure, I'm sure at the beginning it was like, oh, well, we'll start doing it because of the Alpine combined. So the Alpine combined is important. I could get a gold medal at the Olympic Games and World Championships. Let's do a bit of downhill. And we can do that. And then all of a sudden, he became very good. And then when you're at the downhills, you may as well do the Super Gs because you're there and they're on the same hill. So maybe he then, all of a sudden, I kind of, it might be totally, totally wrong, but it feels like it's almost by accident that he's now a brilliant yeah. Super G skier and a brilliant downhiller within <laughs> its own right. And I hope he wakes up in the morning and says... I'm starting to feel like Jettiel Andre Ormot. <laughs> I'm a good skier and I can race in any discipline. Yeah. And that's the way Ormot used to approach it. Um, he just enjoyed it. He loved going fast. So let's have a bit of downhill and super G. And he loved being able to turn his ski skillfully. Well, let's have a bit of giant slalom and slalom as well. I just and like I his think, interviews as well. He's just so yeah. happy. He's always smiling. He seems to guy. love ski racing. He's a joy. I mean, he's a joy. He's a joy to watch as a ski racer. And he said, I can't wait to shake his hand next time we're on tour and say, it's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure to see you go sixth in Wengen and win a bloody giant slalom in California. Yeah. It's marvellous. Yeah. It's nuts, isn't it, Mark? Absolutely ridiculous. But that hill, what did you make of the hill? I thought that, that, the, that, that GS hill, threw every, again, threw everything out there. Those two rollers looked 
it made a lot of very good skiers look very, very amateur, didn't they? A couple of sort of total rookie errors of starting the turn yeah. too early, going the wrong side of the gate, starting it too late, ending up in the powder. <laughs> yeah, through the through the it was a right-footed delay, I think, wasn't it? Sort of, I just remember it going out of sight from the TV angle, and then the next camera would sort of pan to them, you know, in all sorts of trouble, bent yeah. out of shape, trying to trying to make the next turn. Um, again huge variety um i thought the gs hill at least from the tv seemed a little bit more interesting i would say than the slalom hill um but yeah it had had everything in it and you know when you're watching on tv and you think these are the best these are the big dogs these are the best in the world and there's a turn or two that making them look a little bit average and um more akin to something i'd see in a in a in a sit race then you know that's a hard turn. This is a hard <laughs> hill, or that's a difficult set, and this is a hard surface. You just um, you just know that's um, that's there, and you see the guys, don't you? You see them watching at the top, um, on the TV screens. You see them giving course reports from from perhaps the leader's chair at the bottom, and that's one thing I was going to talk about about the World Cup finals. It is interesting when you say there's no one that can come between them. At least in F1, for example, you can you can go under team orders and you yeah, can sort of say, OK, well, put your, yeah, put yourself between uh, between Hamilton and Vettel here, will you? And, you know, um, those those kind of slow uh, things. Slow down. Yeah, yeah, those kind of tactics and you can help your team out. Um, I don't really see sort of Timon Haugen slowing down halfway through his run to to keep Christofferson behind and, um, you know, causing all sorts of... Um, well, I won't use the language on here, but housery um, to uh, to help their teammates. It's you know, it's it's a brutal sport. It's you you train in teams, but it's all against all, isn't it? And um, yeah, I think um, you know, going going back to the the slalom there, that's going to be interesting to see. And um, you know, looking at the GS, when I think of Odomat, you know, I was saying to someone a few days ago, well, he's you know, him and Kildare, they're sort of tit for tat in speed, but obviously Odomat's really got the the advantage in GS, as good as Kildare is. But then you suddenly think, well, you know, Schwartz is coming good across the board. And, um, you know, maybe one of these guys and someone else that's a little bit, um, you know, fancies their chances across all disciplines is thinking, well, hang on a minute, maybe, maybe there's a chance here of getting back in the game you know, if I'd go, if I do all discipline. Mm. So it's, it's definitely exciting. And as I said to you, just before the chat, we had um, Natko Dmzernčić here from, um, from Croatia. He's, he's, uh, he's coaching now and I was chatting to him and um, he's a massive advocate for sort of combined and for doing all disciplines. And that's certainly, whether it's Croatia's philosophy, it's certainly his own philosophy um, to be doing as many disciplines with his skiers as possible. Um, meanwhile, I know Sergey, for example, who worked here last year and is coaching um, Zubcic this year, is sort of saying to me, you know, we we maybe could do with doing slightly less of one discipline to excel in another. So there's there's a, in the coaching world, there's very, you know, there's different different sort of parties arguing arguing different different viewpoints. But it's um it's certainly uh, certainly something that will be debated for years and years. I like to see the all rounders. I like to see the. Uh, people showing their talents across all disciplines and all conditions. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, Odomat's run, considering how many mistakes there were in there, and he was still only 300th <laughs> off a win, 
Uh, you know, he came down, didn't he? And it's saying his interview afterwards that he he thought he was going to be down in sort of fifteenth uh, or something. I think he said, and then for him to be, it was only Nick. It was only one split that he didn't mess up, and he was like five tenths off at the penultimate one, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, again, as we've all discussed, it was a different snow condition. Uh, they're all pretty jet lagged and tired, and so it was always going to be a tough test. Um, but I think what Odomac continues to show us is that his technical superiority on the rest of the world is still there. Mm. Um, and he makes mistakes. Um, we love the speed of recovery, but it's what comes after he makes that mistake. And 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 this skill that he has of uh, loading the ski early, the balance that he brings with it, the way he's able to read the terrain... Um, it, even when he's on, a, I got the feeling that he didn't really want to be there, to be honest. I get the feeling that he's kind of done. He's tired and uh, he gets a little bit grumpy now. Yeah, we're hearing a bit more grumpy words, aren't we? From Yeah. We did um, but at the end of the day, what you see when he makes those big errors are fantastic moves, first and foremost, to get himself out of trouble. And then he goes back to this amazing technique and skill and timing that has the rest of the world studying the videos back at the hotel for hours and hours and hours and um, even though he's a little bit tired a little bit grumpy and really is ready for his summer holiday um he's still ahead of the rest by a serious margin odomat's going to win the gs title he's going to win the overall title and i'm hoping in a similar sort of thread to what we saw with Marco Schwartz in the Giants line, he wins the World Cup downhill before the season's over to go with his World Championship gold. Odomat, for me, is still the master of the game. I haven't seen anybody so far ahead in technique since Ingemar Stenmark. He's, he's, re, he's rewriting it, really, isn't he? I think, Mark, from your side of things, you'll see, obviously, you're much more on the ground than we are. Um, but the way that he's doing things differently to everybody else at the moment it must have like Nick said all of the teams just pouring over endless Odomat videos trying to work out and emulate but some, yeah. there's some things you can't emulate this you know you can't ski like Bodie Miller is that just something that yeah. people have to like you know get their head around and go do you know what you can't ski like this guy just carry on doing what you're doing or do you think people are going I'm going to try and ski like Odomat which no, nobody does well, my my uh, personal opinion is that you can, you know, you can have a little look at what he's doing, but it seems to me that the the timing and finesse that he has, along with the line that he takes, is is what is making him fast. I mean, if you watch his basic, you know, base technique, um, I very much doubt you'd say, okay, well, he's doing this and that that's completely different, um, in the way he's sort of in the way his movements are put together. But the timing, the timing of, of when he releases, the line that he has, he seems to be able to spend very little time on the edge, release really smoothly down the hill, doesn't seem to get very much rattle at all. Mm. Um, you know, he is um, he's phenomenal. And, um, you know, watching that and analysing that, of course, you can pick up some small tips and you can you can try and emulate what he's doing. But ultimately... Um, you know, there's so many things that go into, you know, confidence goes into it. Your uh, body type goes into it. Your center of mass goes into it. Can someone ski like him? Um, they can try, but he is very much um, 
very much a master of what he's doing at the moment. It's um, it's fantastic to watch. I think before we move off from the GS, you touched on it earlier, Mark, with uh, Vinatza skiing that giant slalom, picking up some World Cup yeah. points, all of a sudden doing that differently. Kilda came up. He thought, you know, he's coming over to the States. I think that he decided he wanted to get there early, get ahead of the jet lag, chuck his GS skis on because why not? because in his own right, he's a good GS gear, right? Um, George Steffi, another shout, a big shout out for him making a second run. Uh, there yeah. are a few good stories in there in that GS. The George Steffi thing's really cool because, um, you know, I don't know um, so much in present day about Paul Epstein's team, but um, Global Racing, certainly when they first started, they they based themselves at, at our place in Austria. And um, so I've, I've, uh, witnessed what he's been doing from from the from the get-go and um it seems to me more than ever this year he has guys frequently qualifying now that obviously marcel who who is your regular regular on this podcast he was probably one of the first guys that had world cup pedigree that joined global racing and um you know the consistent thing with global racing is paul epstein and um he you know he's been there through all of it and he is producing and producing and producing and that um you know it's not just one guy if you watch the Schla- the schladming gs you've got zingale there crashing through the finish they, they seem to have developed this culture and mentality of we are good enough we are mm-hmm. going to do this you've got brian mclaughlin you've got sam mays you've got some of the some of the other guys that have been there for a while that aren't regulars in there, but you've got Harry Laidlaw, Martin Miners. You've got this whole group of um, really top-level skiers, and they just they don't have crazy funding. They don't have crazy amounts of coaches necessarily. They've just got culture and mentality in in spades. So to see George Steffi do that um, is awesome. You know, he's my understanding is is off of the US team. He's with Global. He's he's trying to get to the level to be um, whether it's to be back on the US team or not will be his decision I guess but um, he's trying to get back to those levels and those kind of stories are just awesome aren't they it's like the AJ story okay well he's he's decided to race for Greece he's he was part of that slalom team that didn't get carried carried on or continued with the US some years ago and um, he's gone away he's persevered and he's um, he's jumped back in there so those stories I think give a lot of people the younger generation. They, it gives so much hope, yeah. so much um, confidence that hang on, I can go away, I can persevere, I can ask tough questions of myself, and I can come back and I can I can compete. There's no reason why I can't compete, and um, those are the stories that I think are inspirational to to younger athletes and to all of us as spectators and fans of the sport. Um, that's what's making uh, the the tech disciplines for us really exciting this year. And I do believe that that's a little bit harder to do in speed because of the staff you need to build up the training because of the resources. It's difficult um, or more difficult, more challenging, not impossible, but um, definitely in slalom and GS, we're seeing some really cool success stories that we're all getting behind. I, I couldn't agree with Mark more. They're, they're, they're wise words. And, and, and Mark is one of those superheroes behind the scenes that if some coach on the national team decides that your career is over and you think it's not, 
then there is an opportunity for you to continue. Mm. And it's guys like Mark, like Paul from Global Racing. There are lots of uh, academies or groups out there, whatever you want to call them, that are helping young ski racers fulfill the dream. And there are a lot of brilliant coaches in the national teams out there. There are a lot of average ones as well. And I think that what the sport is now, uh, if you like, splintering into is that if you feel your day is not over, there are plenty of places and people like Mark that will support you yeah. in that area. And I love it personally when people like these American guys. Brian McLaughlin is a great story. I mean, what a journeyman. He's been on and off the team three years. He's won everything. The collegiate tour, the NORAM tour, and they still won't put him in the national team. But he still wants to fulfill his dream as a ski racer. And I say, more please, roll yeah. on and chapeau to all of the guys like Mark, Paul Epstein, and all of those academies out there that are doing a brilliant job. Uh, yeah, and the, the guys that sticking with it, Johannes yeah. Stroltz is one of the is one of the biggest best examples of that as well, isn't it? You know, yeah, a, an, yeah. Aust an Austrian. You know, <laughs> the, the Austrians don't make it easy for you when they don't want you. Uh, yeah. And you know, and look what it, look what happens. Dogged determination. I think a lot of a lot of the most successful people on World Cup, I think, will put their success down to determination and just not taking no for an answer. I think that determination is, is such a ridiculously big skill that I don't think you can really learn that much. I think, you know, some people are just born determined, really determined. And I know I'm the old grey haired guy that goes on and on and on, but history keeps repeating itself. Look at the 1980s and read about a guy called Mark Girardelli. And that's... Yeah. He racer who wanted to fulfill his dream and thought the Austrian system didn't work for him. And boy, oh boy, did he make those Austrian coaches <laughs> caps. Um, right. I think, I think we, we'll uh, move on from the GS now. and We'll start talking about the women. But as a nice segue, you talk about coaches and, and the Austrians. Uh, do you think that Mike Day's phone might be running hot with Austrian phone numbers calling him and calling him and calling him <laughs> because hot property that he must be for any national team or any, any team in general. Um, surely the Austrians are just, just got him on redial, constant, constant redial. Why haven't we got him on constant redial? Well, we, I was going to say, funnily enough, I, I could do with another fizz coach next year. So maybe I'll give him a call <laughs> um, <laughs> if yeah, I yeah. can get through. Yeah, I think um, you'd be caller waiting. You are number 136th in the queue. It's a um, it's interesting, isn't it? I only briefly read about this. It was sort of it was almost sort of a news story that was filtered in there. And then bigger things came along. There's been um you know, world champs and AJ story and, 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 and this, that, and the other. And uh, someone brought it up with me today and said, Oh, do you, did you hear anything about that sort of why that had happened or how it had happened? And look, I think, um, you know, when you're at that level um, and he's been with Schifrin, I believe since, um, is it since Dykstra finished? Um, so he's been, he's certainly been there a long, long time. Seven, I'm seven, sure they'll have the reasons. Time. I'm sure those reasons won't be, uh, Seven years. I'm sure those reasons won't be uh, won't be made, you know, public because that's not the way things are done, and it, it would be sort of unprofessional. But um, it's uh, you know, it's uh, it seems to me that Schifrin has been having a killer season. 
and uh, we can all you know speculate on this that and the other but um certainly seemed uh, i certainly wasn't expecting to to see that news when i did nick you you um you you're quite a well connected fellow within ski racing have you have you heard anything it was it was weird how abrupt it was and there's there's got to be as much as i've tried to find i've spoken to a few people from within ussa to try and figure out exactly what's going on and they're all keeping very tight lips but for it it must have been a proper parting the ways for him just to to get on a plane midway through the champs to not even stick it out you know it was very public that he was on a plane whilst she was still racing you kind of feel like that has got there's something there whether we'll ever hear about it i don't know yeah and 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 for those of your listeners that aren't fully aware of the story um michaela has decided that she wants to do things slightly differently to try and keep the spontaneity in her career Uh, and unfortunately mike day found out wrong place wrong time that he was not part of those new plans Uh, so rather than sit down and talk it through rather than stick it out. He went home to spend some time with his family, who he hasn't seen for very much of the past seven years. So, you know, obviously the very emotional, very difficult. Somebody let something slip at the wrong time in the Schiffering camp that caused this nightmare. Um, Thankfully, it didn't really affect Michaela's performances at the World Championships, and it sort of went the way uh, that she was hoping. Um, didn't win maybe as much as her fans wanted, um, but it didn't give us the nightmare that we saw in Beijing. Yes. Um, therefore, Michaela dealt with it. Uh, Mike Day, as you quite rightly say, is now the hottest property in the ski coaching world uh, gun for hire. Um, and... Um, it's just one of those sad stories that somebody completely messed up. Yes. Um, because it must be awful for, for, for Mike to find out that he's not part of such a success story that he's been a major contribution to. Um, so it was very fortunate. And as all three of us know, there are journalists at the World Championships to say this is an amazing World Championships. But there is also another half there that are looking for sensationalism and stories that, uh, you know, are as negative rather than positive as a gold medal winning performance. And so they hadn't got any negative stories out of the World Championships. So that was what they were going to go with. <laughs> and it became, yeah, it became a field day for everybody. Personally, I think it's very sad. I'm a huge fan of Mike Day. And um, wouldn't it be fantastic if he was coaching with the British ski team next Yes, year? 100%. 100%. The, the only thing I say about... Uh, the thing that I think makes it even more sad or bad timing, whichever, trying to not get carried away with it, but is the fact that Schifrin is going to, in the highest of high probabilities, equal and surpass... Stenmark's record by the end of the season and for Mike Day to not be a part of the coaching team when that happens like it just tarnishes the whole I mean maybe good on him just going you know what if you don't want me next season you don't get me now um but I just think what a shame that that isn't nicely sort of tied off in a bow I mean I know life's not like that but 
it, it's, that, it's, it's that cruel, would have been nice. You know, and, it, and it must be heartbreaking for Mike Day because he's written the schedule that will take them all the way to the World Cup finals. Mm. And, um, and, and I think that it, it's a pretty good bet that in the next week she'll equal Ingemar's victory record of 86. And then at the World Cup finals, she'll go to 87 and become the most successful World Cup skier of all time. The Mike Day connection is the only sad part of the story. Hmm. Uh, which which uh, she didn't get a chance to equal that record. The women were racing in Cran Montana, Switzerland, uh, and they were trying to get a Super G and a downhill away. They couldn't run uh, on the Saturday because the snow conditions were far too warm and changeable. Nick will go into it because we were talking about it at length on, on the air when we were talking about the men's race. Um, but they didn't get the chance to race and it, was, it wasn't it was safe. But they did manage to get one race away, which was on the Sunday. Uh, Brian only picked up gold yet again in the downhill. Federica Brian only narrowly missed out on gold herself uh, in silver, 15 hundredths of a second behind. And then Laura Goucher of France picking up her podium in third. Movenko fourth, Stuhetz, who was closely uh, chasing down uh, Godje for the title at that point, found herself way down in ninth. But then a nice surprise story at the end of it, it was uh, Alice Robinson, GS superstar, managing to get 11th place. Uh, Nick, why don't you kick us off with this one? How'd you, how'd you find it? What do you think? I think Alice Robinson had been watching Marco Schwartz on the telly. Yeah, yeah she's like, I want a piece of that. Hang on a minute. If he can do it, why can't I? Yeah. And, 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 and credit where it's due, I, I think Alice actually could become a sensational downhill racer. She's fearless. She's strong, uh, technically very, very skillful. Um, and I thought that was a, a fabulously exciting part of the race. Uh, Ilka was a bit disappointed, but there's a skier that's had so many injuries. The track looked, we know Cramontana, it's a scary race piece uh, designed for the 87 World Championships as a men's downhill piece. Um, so it always tests uh, the best speed skiers from the women's tool. I think um, if you'd if you'd given sorry Nick, if you'd given Stuhetz the chance of being run in second place at this point in the season, coming into it, she would have bitten your arm off. Yes, and and I think she still has that air of caution when she's unsure, um, and that's because here's a skier that when she's on her A game, she's amazing, but psychologically she doesn't want to go through that pain no. again. And they cancelled the first race, if you remember, after the forerunner got to the finish area and said, this is dangerous. You should not send them down after a two and a half hour wait. Um, and then they came to a much colder racetrack on the Sunday, having practised on a very soft track on the Friday. And she just wasn't confident and she wasn't prepared to take the risk. And then, of course, we all know the queen of risk, Sophia <laughs> And the more scary it becomes, the more excited Godia gets. <laughs> and, and, and therefore, Godia's in the starting gate. She knows that just about everybody else in the race is a little bit scared. So she takes it to another level. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, the, the best headline was Benoni coming second. That's a major breakthrough for her. As again, a slalom and a giant slalom skier, um, now getting more and more confident at downhill, and um, and as I think I don't I think it was somebody said it in the commentary, you cannot help but be on the edge of your seat when Goggia races. You have no idea what she doesn't happen. have. She doesn't have. She idea. has no idea. But boy, oh boy, is it exciting and good for ski racing. 
Well, I mean, you know, Gorgia, she comes in, doesn't she? And she's she sort of come in, last two races, break a hand and leave for two races, sort of that that kind of thing. She sums um, up her career, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it? She's all or nothing. And um, yeah, just watching her is is absolutely um, it's it's brilliant. It's exciting. Um, you never know what's going to happen next, and that's um, you know it keeps us all on the edge of our seats. My um, my interest and my take on it was more towards the the tail end of the field. I thought it was really cool. Again, you know, as a as a coach and a coach of young or um, junior athletes that maybe aren't always the obvious choice for their national teams to see for the first time. This is a couple of girls that both trained together: Steph Fleck and Trisha Manyang. They are uh, they're a, a sort of a double act this year, one from Canada, one from the US. Both of them jumped into the top 30. It's the first time they've both been in the top 30 together. And um, that was, I think they just have one coach um, from Thomas Wilson from their sort of college days and uh, who they know from their college days, sorry. And I think um, that's a real cool success story to see. I think that's been... Um, something really cool to um to witness and you could see i think steph fleck had shared the uh the sort of video of her coming through the line that elated feeling the very first time where you've gone into the top 30 and um just what that means to people after long periods of perseverance and of sort of working against the odds and maybe not being the first choice for your national team or having funding cut we all know the challenges and um, these sort of stories, I think, are brilliant to see, like with the, the men's side. What was also interesting was I thought Nina Ortlieb, I was, I was, you know, fresh off of her second place in the in the World Championships. Um, I was hoping or thinking, oh, maybe we're going to see that carried over to um, to World Cup. Um, she was down in 27th. Um, Kaiser Lee down in 26th. Um, and th- these are these are athletes that I think they're very much I think- top 10 skiers. I think uh, I think casually I think she did her I think she broke her leg here which is where she did it there in, in Crown Montana where she where she then had to sit out two seasons so I wasn't surprised that she did but Ortley yeah I mean she's ridiculously uh, inconsistent just the the yo-yo that her team her and her team must go through <laughs> is ridiculous you know like you say highs of of world champs and then all of a sudden yeah barely scraping points but it's been like that almost the whole season long again as if the Austrians need anything else to tear their hair out over I'm sure they are absolutely tearing their hair out over that one uh, Alice Robinson I think you're right Nick the that is a huge result and I really think that the speed skiing for her could be the difference. Um, Mark, it'll be interesting to see what your take on it is. Whenever you watch Alice Robinson ski GS, she always, always, always puts in extra effort. And right at the very end of the turn, she always swinging that arm, putting in that big pressure right at the end of the turn. And it feels great. We all know that arcing a ski feels awesome, but she finishes it off like that. And it's just not, quick you know that transition just not quick so i wonder and hope that the speed skiing that she's obviously been doing and and maybe found some skill for that ability to finish a turn and find a flat ski find a glide find a transition may be what she needs to be able to produce her best yes skiing like she did that one the the one time that she that she has or is is yeah i think um 
we've seen it a few times when um you know she's actually going for that move so much that the the tail of the ski actually pings out of the yeah. turn she actually loses grip on the tail of the ski because she rotates through the turn too much now that can as you know ed i mean you you're a high level yourself when you when you make that move you can almost bring some momentum into the into the transition of the turn you're kind of taking your momentum down the hill forwards towards the next gate um it's interesting to see she she does overcook it time to time and it will be i I think you're right i think you're on the right track with that that she will learn to be have a little bit more finesse because she is a an absolute powerhouse she'll maybe have a little bit more finesse some of the the sort of finer gliding skills that she'll learn from speed will also really help her in the gs um it's hard to say isn't it it's sort of you know when people talk about well what's your greatest strength what's your greatest weakness well probably my greatest strength is i'm trying to make speed through every gs turn and it's also my greatest weakness because i keep on losing the tail of the ski or getting myself into trouble um slightly slightly moving away from alice robinson we haven't talked about emma Eicher, who's the young the young german girl you know alice is born 2001 we think you know she's super young and she's right up there Emma Eicher is actually two, another two years younger than Alice at 2003. And she's a, she's a really exciting prospect. I saw her ski at the World Juniors this year in speed and thought, you know, this looks like a really accomplished skier. And, um, you know, she's in, she's in fourth year fizz. So um, plenty, plenty to look forward to, plenty of excitement. And to see that age doing, doing good things and skiing so sort of accomplished in speed disciplines is is probably even more impressive than in the technical disciplines. Have you got anything to add on that front, Nick? Yes. Um, let's stick with the American coaches theme. I hope that uh, Alice Robinson can keep her relationship flowing with Mike Day. Mike Day was a, an American ski coach that took a certain Lindsay Vaughn to a lot of World Cup downhill victories. So Alison is connected. I'm not sure whether she's working as closely with Mike as she was originally, um, but Mike Day has definitely played a key role in developing Alice Robinson's skills. And uh, Mike Day knows how to produce a very, very fast downhill racer. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, anything to add before we look ahead to the next weekend's uh, races? Mark, you look like you're uh, you're thinking there. No, no, I'm. Um, well, I was. I was actually. Uh, I was thinking about my. Um, I was thinking about my my bets or my predictions for ne- for next weekend. Right. Good. Um, well, that brings us per- perfectly <laughs> on. I've been doing food. some research while you two have been talking. I've been, you know, I've been scurrying around, scouring Fisky, Fisky, trying to yeah. trying to work out like the old days. God, <laughs> yeah. If anybody knows Fisky, you, you and Tristan Glass Davis, I'm pretty sure the guys that. I could ask you where anything is on Fiskin. You'd know how to get to it. You know, you're talking about how to find that rule. I bet you already knew where that was. You didn't even have to try and search where the rule yeah, yeah. getting DQ'd was. Knows it inside and out. Uh, so yeah. this coming weekend, uh, the men and women are both in action and they are all racing Friday, Saturday and Sunday. The women are in Kvitfjell, Norway. Uh, they race Super G Friday, Downhill Saturday, Super G Sunday. Uh, and then the men are over in Aspen and they race double downhill and super G. We are racing. Let's go first to the women in Kvitfjell. Uh, we were talking briefly, weren't we, Nick, earlier on about how exciting it is to be back in Norway. And the women are now taking over that track from the men. Uh, and it's going to be it's going to be a 
fast old ride hopefully snow conditions dependent obviously but it should be good no it, it will be a fabulous uh three races and very similar story to to palisades that we've uh, finally put to bed in that it's a brand new racetrack for the women brand brand new it was built for the 1994 winter olympics in lillehammer it was designed for the men whilst the women were racing in half yell which is a little bit down the valley um it's a bernard russi designed track and not quite at the top of the mountain where the men start they'll start just below the super g start um but and this is the big but. Uh, depending on the snow conditions, it's got a little bit of everything. It's got some beautiful big jumps, some wonderful high-speed turns, and a very, very fast, steep finish. So, as we were talking about Sophia Goggia before, it will have all of us on the edge of our seat. Uh, the good news is for the Women's World Cup Tour is that Schifrin comes back, and everybody's looking forward to Michaela. If she wins one this weekend, she will equal the record of uh, Inga Mostemok on 86 victories. But is Schifrin ready to go full tilt on a brand new downhill racetrack that has tested some of the best men in the world um, will be interesting. So I think that, uh, I don't know whether it was by plan or by chance, but the FIS have got another crackerjack three-stop race on their hands with the women's tour in, in Norway. But because it is a brand new racetrack for so many, it will come down to confidence and skillful skiing to take the podium position. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, let's get to picking, shall we? So first race is the Super G, which is going to be on Friday. Uh, Mark, would you like to kick us off with that? There are no, no rules, so you can pick the same yeah, as I each think... other if you if you so choose. Go on. Race one, Mark. Super G one. OK, of course. Um I'm going to say Schifrin because uh, I just want her to for the sport to get that, to get the, to get the win to equal the record. So Super G, Schifrin, Brignoni, right. and, and then I want to see Alice Robinson. On you the don't podium. have to, you don't have to pick a podium, but you can, you, I mean, if you want to, you know, try ah, no, I'm, 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 I've done, I've done the research. I'm mate, going for the whole thing. Mate, you can go, you can go for it, but you only get points for your first. I'm not going to 10. Point. <laughs> okay, so Schifrin for Super G. Schifrin okay. for Super G. Uh, right, Nick, what about you? First, Very race. simple. Home heroine, Ragenhild Movinkel will win the Super G on Friday. Nick, you are on my wavelength, my friend, because that is where my money is at as well for the first race. Mowinkle for you and Mowinkle for me. Uh, downhill. Uh, Nick, would you like to pick us the downhill? victory for the women yeah the olympia barkan racetrack as it's known in kvitviel is a track for the brave sophia godja will roll on and probably take the downhill tour title at the same time yeah good shout marky mark it's godja for me you're gonna go godja uh you you probably have to go someone different now don't you really well, I, I feel like I'm I'm going to, but I, I feel like I feel like Godshia is like the good points bet because she's going to be on the podium. I mean, she's actually to be fair, she's either going to win or she's going to be in the nets. So you know, uh, I kind I think Suter, I think Suter because it's it's there's right. a lot of high speed in there. There's a lot of good gliding, uh, and you and you have to be smart. And I think she's got 
the brain, I think. She's got a good ski brain. The, uh, you know, the big jumps and then you, the entry off. I can't remember what the, the jump's called now. Um, the Russi, isn't it? And then that's that right, where that right footer comes round and it comes that right and left before you come across that flat. I think that's so crucial. Then down into that carousel, I think she's just going to nail the line. I think, she, I think her ski brain's going to come into its own there. Uh, second, right. second Super G. I'm going to go Schifrin because I think by that point she's dialed in and gets the job done. Nick, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I want to go off piece now for the for the second Super G. Good lad, and I want to see somebody sort of that come out of the pack, and I think Nina Ortlieb might win it. Okay, you think this is going to be one of our up days? Good, yep, good lad. Big pals with their dad as well, so I'm sure he's listening to. Go <laughs> <laughs> there, Mark. What do you reckon? Brignone. Ooh, great pick. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I, I also wonder whether the Norwegians. It's a solid. I wonder whether the Norwegians. You know, were we going to see something maybe from Lee on home snow? You said Nick, as you rightly said, it's the first time the women have been racing here, but it's not the first time the Norwegian team will have been on this hill. Good um, word. Yeah, so... good word. Home Hill advantage. Yep, we saw that. We've seen that enough this season. Don't tell the bookies, but Lee might be getting a couple quid on. <laughs> <laughs> From somebody we know. <laughs> um, Placing a bet on behalf of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> anything to add, uh, gentlemen, on the on Kvitfiel before we, we look over at the men's, preview the men's? Just watch it. To all of the, the listeners on this podcast, it, it, it will be fascinating to see the ladies wanting to prove a point that they can ski this track as fast with as much entertainment as the men do. I think it's going to be really, really good women's World Cup racing this weekend. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree. Um, let's move over to Aspen for the men as they are in action. Like I said, speed races again for them. Double downhill, downhill Friday, Saturday. Uh, and then Super G on Sunday. And it is going to be, is it sad? I'm not sure it's sad, but it's going to be Steve Nyman's last ever World Cup race. Uh, and uh, what an amazing ski racer he's been. What uh, just an all round nice guy, ridiculously quick, cool bloke that has graced us with his uh, presence on the World Cup for many a season. Uh, and... I, I'm not sure I can go back to Val Gardena and not be able to talk about Steve Nyman potentially winning from whatever bib that he's got. Go on, Nick. You've you've uh, you've been commentating on his uh, on his ski racing for pr pretty much all of it, I would assume. Yeah, uh, I can yeah, actually remember when Steve Nyman was the World Junior Slalom Champion. How about that? One of uh, <laughs> four Americans to have won that. Uh, but no, I've done all of Steve's victories in Val Gardena. I've had the pleasure when I was working with Channel 4 of spending quite a lot of time with him. He is a, a true ambassador for ski racing. He's a wonderful gentleman. Um, he's got some great stories. He used to tend to the lawns of Robert Redford when he was a youngster in growing up in Utah. Uh, Robert Redford has that private resort in Utah. And uh, he used to cut uh, Robert Redford's lawn to pay for his uh, uh, ski club contributions. He's got the um, Musi, uh, who is the technician of Christian Godina, the, the fisher god of uh, ski prep. And then, of course, Nyman picks it up 
almost where Gadina left off with three wins rather than four on the Sass Long in Val Gardena. Um, and, and most importantly, I, I really admire the way he's kept going over the last couple of seasons. Personally, he felt that he wasn't, hadn't had enough. He wasn't ready to sign off until now. And he kept coming back from injury and knowing probably himself that he wasn't going to win a World Cup race again. But when you've done that much for the sport and you've been in ski racing for that long, the athlete themselves needs to say, now is my time yeah. to stop. So I have to admit, I'll have a tear in my eye this weekend for Steve Nyman because he is not only a real gentleman, but he has done so much good for the American downhiller across Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's that's such, ni such nice things to hear talked about him because, yeah, he is an all-round legend. Uh, yeah, Val Gardena definitely will not be the same. Uh, Mark, did you, did you race um, with him? Um, I didn't know, but I did partake in his original fancy ski racer, um, you know, predictions. And um, I actually won an award and I've never received it. So, Steve, if you are listening, I will um, send my address to you and I would like to receive a T-shirt, set of gloves or something similar. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a Valgardona <laughs> trophy. Maybe a Valgardona yeah. trophy, I think. Hopefully. Hopefully not a bomb through the post. Um, <laughs> lovely guy. It seems to me, you know, you, you get a feel for these guys on social media, don't you? And um, and in their interviews. And um, it very much feels to me that although there's always some chat about, you know, the, the sort of elder statesman of, of the team um, keeping spots from younger guys coming through. Not that that's necessarily the case with Steve, but there's always this playoff in national teams, isn't there? When do we let the top guys go and start? bringing in the younger guys but I do very much feel like with like with football teams and anything else there's a real place for experienced guys um sort of handing over the baton to the to the younger team members showing them the ropes and um it feels to me that he's he's taken on that responsibility um massively and will have really really left a a legacy and a really good um I would say example for the younger US ski team members to follow. Good words. Wise. Wise stuff. Um, so we are racing in Aspen for downhill. Nick, when was the last time we uh, quiz? When was the last time we raced World Cup <laughs> downhill in this resort? I'm not sure I can pinpoint the exact year, but I want to say 1986 uh, with the men's <laughs> World Cup score. And um, and you'd have to spring it on you for for there to be yeah, any hope yeah. that you wouldn't. I don't have the connection to the FIS website to find <laughs> it out properly. But what I can say is, <laughs> great racetrack. It will test them, and it's got a fantastic history to go with it as well. To say you've won a World Cup downhill in Aspen, Colorado, um, has got a real buzz to it and until they built the birds of prey it was the north american downhill track um so a lot of the old guys like myself will have stories to tell about it and um and again it's maybe not ideal from a carbon footprint perspective to go back to north america for a second time but from a ski racing perspective where we're respecting our history and going to one of the number one resorts in North America and for many people in the world 
I think it's brilliant that the tour is back in Aspen, downhill racing again. It's going to be a good weekend. Well, on that note, who's your, who's picking up the first downhill victory then, Nick? Well, and, you know, isn't going to be fascinating. Kilda has got to be everybody's, most people's favourite. Odomat beat him in Courchevel to take the World Championship gold. And I think Odomat now has the taste. So I think Marco Odomat is not going to win just one. He's going to win both of them. Whoa, he's going double. Double Odomat. Double trouble for Marco Odomat. Mark? I've gone one apiece for Odomat and Kilda. Spreading it out. Which way round? Odomat first, please. <laughs> and then Kilda. And then Kilda's going to lose his uh, cool and just destroy the second race. Just dominate it. <laughs> um, what do I think? I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go kill the race one because I think he's come over with a plan, which is why he went and raced GS. I think he's come over very much focused on being able to produce the goods. So I'm going to go with him with the first one, uh, and and I think I'm just just for the sake of it, I'm going to say somebody else's name. Uh, do I think Crawford's going to do it off the back of? off the back of the world championships that he had? Or do I think Kriegmeier is going to come back and do the business? I'm going to go Kriegmeier. I'm going to go Kriegmeier because I feel like he's got a point to prove because I don't think he's, I don't think his form's been there over the last, well, latter half of the season. I think it's, it's, it's probably fair. Uh, so I think I'm going to go Kriegmeier race too, just because I think he's, he's going to, he's going to want to go out in style. Um, Mark, you can kick us off with the Super G, mate. Do I need to put a different name down other than Marco Odomat? No, it, it's got to be Odomat, doesn't it? As far as I'm concerned, it's um, he's just going to turn up and absolutely destroy it, I think. It's hard to look past him, isn't it, really? Uh, so you're going Odomat, Nick? Yeah, I mean, again, we talk about this in the commentary box all the time, don't we? You, you want to pick with your heart, but your head actually is slightly more clinical about the scenario if Odomat skis that well over these next three races not only will he come very close to wrapping up the super g title he'll potentially wrap up the overall tour title as well um so there is an awful lot at stake here for marco Odomat, and i keep saying it at some point he's got to start looking tired and a little battle weary and every time i say that he proves me wrong but <laughs> he race um but I would love to see a little bit of a mix-up in a chase um, so that we take the Super G title and we take the downhill title to the last races of the season mm. in Andorra. So I'd like Kriegmeier to win the Super G on Sunday. So you're going to go Kriegmeier. Um, I'm kind of with you, Nick, there. I'm kind of with you there. I'd love, to, I'd love to say a different. I'd love to. I mean, I'm looking at these the standings here. I'd love to see Pantero do it because oh, great to do it. Heart again. With yeah, the heart. that's that's the thing. Yeah, after, <laughs> exactly. After a real tough outing, but he's legitimately fourth in the Super G standings. You know, yeah. absolutely there by merit, and definitely not as a not as him. You know, turning up because he, he's wanting to ski a little bit of speed. He's, he's properly tight, and he said now that he's targeting the speed races. So, do I think he's going to find it? He's going to have some rockets on his feet, that are for sure. Uh, is anybody else going to get close? Could there be a no? Uh, I'm 
I'm going to go Panto. I'm going to go Hart for this one. I'm going to go Pantero because nice. I just uh, yeah. yeah. I'm with Mark there. It would be so nice if Pantero won. Yeah. If there's any consolation, Ed, I've got him on my Super G podium. Just oh, is he on your podium? <laughs> where, was, where, was he third he's or in, second? He's in, he's in third, yeah. Oh, okay. Who, who like, got in the middle there? Odomat killed the Panther. Oh, God, you are. You, you, what are you just doing? Picking off the flipping <laughs> standings, are you? Cheeky, cheeky. Uh, gentlemen, uh, th- uh, we've, we have babbled on for far too long. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you for those of you that have stuck this one out until the end. <laughs> we've babbled on a lot, lot to get in. Till the abyss end. Lots of uh, very interesting racing, especially from the North American tour. So thank you for sticking with us. Gentlemen, thanks very much. And until next time, it's bye for now.